Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz, as we finish off the month of November and we recover from the the holiday last week. I recover from doing uh, public service, and everybody's, I think, in pretty good spirits. I guess, uh, Brian, how are you doing? I think so. As we were just talking about before we uh, started recording here, we have my dog, one of our dogs, back. Uh, our three-year-old dog, uh, he's an American Bulldog Lab mix. He likes to run, and uh, twice today he managed to get out of our fenced-in yard, which is quite an accomplishment. Um, and the last time was about an hour and a half ago, so there was a little time there where I didn't know if we'd be recording tonight, um, if I'd be scouring the neighborhood looking for a lost dog. But a very nice neighbor was able to corral him, and uh, Gus is back upstairs, and he and he knows and he got sent to his room, and he knows what he did was wrong. And it's very funny when he when he will run away. Cause he's run away a lot. We we adopted him. He's our both of our dogs are. Uh, our rescue dogs, but one of them, our older dog Zoe, who's just who's about ten and a half. I mean, right. she was she looks like a lab, and like she was rescued from a shelter, but it was like a, a country shelter, so she would have found a home. She looked like a dog. Gus was a uh, a perpetual runaway and stray down in Salamanca, mm-hmm. which in uh, if you don't if you aren't familiar with Western New York, that is a heavily populated by the Seneca Nation Indians on the highway. By Olean, which is, if you don't know where that is exactly, it's middle of nowhere, yeah. and uh, and he was, um, he he would not he would not have survived very long had we not. So he's like the actual kind of rescue dog we rescued, and he's a headache, but he's also you know he's upstairs right now, and he kind of has that forlorn look, like. I did a bad thing. I ran away. I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, and that's his voice too. How I imagine his voice is very kind of like, kind of like dirt, dirt. So, um, but all is well. So, um, so how much money did you guys raise? Did, did you personally raise last night for the public TV viewers of, uh, of Illinois, of Illinois, of Indiana? And yeah, none for Illinois. Screw those people. <laughs> but um, I didn't raise very much. So yeah, for those who don't know, which I think would be, and, and I don't think anybody knows. So, you're, you're not being left out of anything unnecessarily, folks. Um, I was invited to appear on the local PBS station during the fun drive as a uh, as a talent, um, which, I mean, we're using that term <laughs> very loose. Basically, I was just meat on the stage that uh, would read off a teleprompter. So, um, so I was there for four and a half hours, and I think we generated maybe two phone calls during nice. uh, the breaks. So... There might have been website people. I guess people use the web now to give to PBS, but uh, okay, yeah, no, you know, it was a fun experience overall. I mean, I've, I've obviously I've got a background in in broadcasting, and it's been a while since I had been able to actually, you know, get up there and read off a prompter and interact with another person, and so that was pretty neat. Um, but uh, yeah, didn't didn't really do much for uh, for the. Uh, the for, fun to drive uh, purpose uh, last, at least not yesterday. Now we taped some segments, which will be replayed later. Okay. So maybe we'll have better luck then, but I won't know. Okay. So, uh, so, so what's it like being on that side of the fun drive? Cause I think we've all been on either through, whether through NPR or through like PRI with this American life or uh, WNYC or obviously watching on PBS, the fun drive. And it's kind of cliche. Um, so what's it like being on the on the talent end and the fun and uh, on that end of it? 
Because I think for, oh. for for a lot of us, it's the the kind of fun price you pay for public radio and public television. And, you know, we poke fun at it, but we understand why it is, and sometimes we'll give. So what's it like on the other end? I mean, I think it's it's entertaining from the standpoint that, you know, it's a, it's a weird sort of thing. Because uh, at least with how mine was set up, it was me and another host. And we were at basically like little lecterns on this big soundstage with the, you know, four people at a phone bank sitting behind us. And, you know, you would hear as you were taping people calling in and, you know, you'd be reading a script that you didn't write. Yeah, you'd be reading this, this script that the producer had written and... You know, I mean, you've you've heard these these you know things before. I mean, a lot of them are kind of corny. A lot of them, you feel like you're you're asking for money in a way that's you know occasionally almost a little condescending to some <laughs> degree. Um, I don't mind it so much because you know what else are you going to do? I mean, there's there's a you know there's a lot of a lot of the time, particularly the smaller stations. You know, you're not dealing with professionals that are doing this stuff. You're dealing with with uh, people like me who are, you know, we have time available and we're willing to come in and help. And so, right. the ability of people to ad lib and stuff like that. I mean, if you get the right partner, you'll you'll have the ability to have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you, it, the thing is, though, it's just it's a lot of work really? because we did, you know, the so I'll give you a typical break. So. We'd come like they'd, they'd start the the cameras rolling, and you're looking into. I'm looking into like camera three. There's four cameras, uh, three regular cameras, and then there's one on a on a levitating boom. So I'm reading out of camera three's teleprompter, and I'm you know I'm emoting. I'm trying to you know get into the get into things. It's like wow, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. That was an amazing show there. Um, you know stuff like that. And so you're reading for you know probably 30, 35 seconds, and then the the other person starts reading, and then they read for that amount of time, and then they'll throw to a break. Um, and the break will be some, like, pre-recorded thing, basically reinforcing the idea that you should buy, you know, you should, like, donate so that you can get these goodies that they're offering. <laughs> but then you do that, like, five times over the span of about a 10, you know, 8 to 10 minute period. And okay. so you're constantly, like talking, emoting, and then you kind of back off a little bit. And then your, your turn comes up again, and you do it again. And it all leads to this rap, you know, where you're giving the, you give the phone number, you get the, the website, you implore people to call again, and then, and then that's it. Well, we did um, 11, no, we did nine of those okay. uh, throughout the course of yesterday. So we did four during the Motown 25. We did four during a pre-taped, uh, fun to drive thing for river dance. And then we did one for uh, the news hour. <laughs> okay. And so um, you're very disassociated from everything. I mean, the, the show is on in the background, but you're mostly just kind of there to deliver your lines and to, you know, to try to get people excited about the idea of, of call, picking up the phone. And so it's, it's just kind of a curious experience. It's, it's not bad by any means. It's just, it's just a curious sort of experience. So, um, what were the goodies? I mean, did you have any? I mean, the tote bag is kind of the cliche. Were there tote bags? All right. So is, there was a tote bag. So is this Indian? A... Is this Indiana Public Media that you were uh, part this of? Is WTIU. TIU. Is, so uh, part of yeah. W, w, WTIU, which is 
the it's the PBS station and it's it's set. I mean, it's like it's it's headquarters is in one of the buildings on the IU campus, but yep. it's a legitimate PBS station. It serves you know like like fourteen counties or something like that in Indiana. Uh, okay, so because uh, while while you're telling us about this, I'm desperately scrounging the uh, website of WTIU for video from last night that we can. Share. I don't think there's any. Oh, I, what? I, I sincerely hope that there's none. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm uh, I'm gonna look while you tell us about the uh, the. Uh, uh, so, so what, the, what, goodies, the swag during during the news hour there was a there was a tote bag and then there was also a mug and it was just the, the standard PBS tote bag and mug. Now during Riverdance, the swag was a DVD uh, or a CD or a book or a combination of all three or if you pledged at like the the, the highest level. Tickets to see Riverdance at Clues Memorial Hall in Indianapolis in May. Huge, um, and and it was the same thing with Motown Twenty Five, where Motown Twenty Five was uh, was basically that assembly. There was a seven CD set, um, which I didn't realize CDs were still that popular. Well, with the people who people who would be donating to PBS, I'm sure they're, they're, it's a much you know that's the demographic they're shooting for. Fair, that's fair, um, and then there was also varying like up levels it was a dvd there were a couple other things and then the the top again was you could get tickets to go see the motown 25 show in motown motown the musical okay motown the musical because motown Uh, 25 was the the billy g that was the the that that was 1983 are you guys airing reruns now on pbs Uh, that's exactly what it is yes okay it's it's basically it was this big rerun of this concert from from the early 80s oh uh, no kidding so it really was the motown 25 the one where uh uh, michael jackson did uh the the moonwalk for the first time yes that's correct (laughs) and and it was it was kind of jarring in a bunch of ways because you know you're you're looking up and you're like wow I forgot what Michael Jackson actually looked like right and you know wow you, Michael you, Jackson was black no way <laughs> Diana Ross is up there and she looked like somewhat normal you know still at that point right and, you know I mean it's it's uh, it was just it was a little disconcerting hmm? but. Again, you know, and that's that's I guess in the wheelhouse of the potential audience, and so that's the whole idea. I mean, you got a bunch of people who are in their mid sixties. Um, you know, that was that that's your audience for PBS, and that's the music that they're interested in. So. Right. So, um, so if they if they donated during the news hour, it was one of the things like that that uh, Donald Trump will mention you in a tweet. Yes. Actually, Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, oh, no, that's not. No, Donald Trump would never stoop so low as to engage with public media. No, oh, <laughs> no, public media. Yeah. Um, so, which is kind of one of our topics today, and the fun drive is one of our topics too. But before we get too far into that, what is your uh, what's your beverage of choice for the evening? So, um, still on the diet, going very well. Excellent. I've lost Eleven pounds. Congratulations. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's good. Um, so, but. To, to attempt to keep the carbs on the low end of things. Um, actually, this is the first alcohol I've had since two weeks ago on our show. Okay. Uh, first alcohol of any kind. So I don't know how this is going to go. Like, this 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 could go south. <laughs> first, but I'm having a glass of red wine. I'm having a glass of this uh, Tenuta di Somaro, which is a Puglian wine. It's a southern Italian red. Okay. And uh, my wife is also having a glass while she... 
uh, works on some documents, and she says it's very good. I have not sipped it yet. I'm about to. What, right. what are you drinking? So I have um, a leftover from Thanksgiving. Actually, it's, a, it's older than Thanksgiving, but um, it is a homebrew from my brother-in-law. He calls his uh, homebrew outlet the Dancing Quaker Brewery because they live on Quaker Road not far from us. And so this is, uh, he called it, the Bait Fruit IPA. A bitter nonpartisan ale brewed September 26, 2016, which is of note because that was the night of the first debate between uh, Trump and Clinton, and you probably can't really see, and nobody else can see. But on the uh, the label, they have uh, he has he made silhouettes of Clinton and Trump. Um, you know, back from our our our, uh, our optimistic days of September before we got into the gritty cold reality of yeah. November. But this is a grapefruit IPA, very similar to the uh, to the Ballast Point grapefruit Sculpin. Um, just a really really nice. I, I, I'm liking grapefruit, and the the grapefruit is a nice. I, I find it a nice counterbalance to the heavy hoppiness of an IPA. So that's great. So are we? Well, so we. Um, we, we I was te- we were texting last night a little bit during your uh, your your uh, your your work with PBS and up uh, oh, the first sip, excellent. All it's right. very good. We have it's we have, the corruption continues. Actually, before we even get to the topic, we should do a follow up. And how was your uh, your family Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was really good. We went to my in laws' house and we um, so we did our normal thing where. Um, there were two birds cooked. There was the oven bird that was cooked by my uh, my in-laws, and then there was the brined and uh, grilled bird that I cook every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the brined and grilled bird, I think, I think won the prize. Okay. Uh, I, there were others that, that quietly told me that they thought that as well. Um, so... I was happy about that. I was happy about the way it turned out. Everybody reacted uh, with surprise to my Instagram post the morning of when I uh, took a picture of the turkey and it was entirely coated in bacon. Right, you have to do that. You have to cover you it have in bacon. To do that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't think. I, I people acted like that was like a new thing, and I'm like, I don't think no. so. But hey, I'll take credit for it. Oh but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Own it. But you know, that's you know, that's a standard, especially when you're cooking a, a bird like a turkey. You got to have some fat. Got to have that moisture coming in. Um, so then, uh, so we had a good time. Now it was it was difficult for me because I was, of course, I was not having basically any carbs at all right. for Christmas, and so I ended up uh, just having turkey. I had like two plates of turkey, and I think that was it. Uh, huh. I think I might have had both legs. Nice, uh, just just to compensate from a hunger perspective. But it was fine. There were no <laughs> problems. Um, and then uh, we did we did do something else. So two days later on. On Saturday, we had the old Oak and Bucket game here, uh, okay. which is Indi- Indiana versus Purdue. It's it's the oldest rivalry in Indiana. And so we tailgated uh, for that. Uh, it was a noon game, which kind of sucks for tailgating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had this desire to – I wanted to, uh, to fry a turkey at the tailgate. I didn't want to do it beforehand and bring it. Right. Uh, now, I kind of cheated on the frying. I, I have this oil-less turkey fryer. Uh, we've talked. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this on before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was. Yeah, I was just reminding the uh, the listeners who haven't heard every episode. Um, <laughs> and um, so I, we got out there about eight fifteen. I got the bird uh, started. It was a thirteen pound bird, and it took a little bit longer than I was hoping for, but it was done by eleven o'clock. Plenty of time to slice it and pass it out to people, and it was pretty good. Excellent. It was not as good as the brined and grilled bird, but it was. It was a, a an actual carved turkey in the tailgate lot 
before a football game, which I was pretty excited about. That's sensational. Very cool. So, thanks. How was your Thanksgiving? It, it, it was wonderful. You know, we had about 30 people over at my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's house, the same people who brewed the beer. Um, really, really good time. The, the funniest was my daughter, who is six. We're going through the line for food. And, um, you know, what do you want? You know, she's six, so she, her palate's kind of limited. And my, my daughter, as the true uh, kid of someone who grew up in, in the Buffalo area, loves chicken wings. And so she asked for the turkey leg. So nice. little six-year-old. Now, now you've only seen pictures of my daughter, but she is a peanut. She's about the size of a four-year-old, and she just wow, turned six. Okay. And this, so this little kid asked for the, the the ginormous turkey leg and has it on her plate. She ate like you know four bites, but you know, but you know, the, we get get her eating the dark meat, getting eat, eat, eating the leg. It was it was good to see. But no, overall, just a just really good, um, really nice kind of low key. Relaxing, uh, relaxing holidays. So everything That's was good. Great. Yeah. So, um, so one of the ideas we came up with yesterday, we I know we have a couple, uh, at least one topic you came up with, and a few others we can probably riff on. But um, really, the opportunity that we have here um, at the flip side, coming off of your experience last night, um, raising money for you know a very useful form of media, and we thought, I think we thought us. that that us. There's nothing, no, nothing more useful than than us, and I think I think a fake a, a fake pledge drive for the flip side is really what we need, right? Well, I I thought it was a real pledge drive. I mean, if people okay. if people want to give us real money, I'm not going to stop hey, them for it. I have learned in life that you you get what you ask for, and, and I think if we ask for money, people will send money. We, I think we, yeah, we'll even I think we should start up a GoFundMe page for this. <laughs> All right, I'm on it. Um, yeah, get, get on that right now. But no, I mean, look, folks, we know that you are disappointed by the podcasting choices out there today. That there are, you know, there's just, it feels like everything is controversial. It feels like everything is negative. And you turn to the Flipside podcast for the sort of positive, uplifting things that we talk about on a weekly basis. Right. This is not cheap, though. Like, this costs a lot of time right to do these podcasts guys, time you, as we know is money time is absolutely money and you be honest folks you know how much craft beer costs these days yeah i mean, I mean we, uh, we drink we drink for you and i tell you our 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 bar tab is way the hell up there right now absolutely. i mean i don't i don't want to it's, it's big league i mean really it's, 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 yeah. so I, I mean, Ga- Galen had. To, I, I mean, Galen had to go on a diet. He had to go on a carb-free diet simply because of the amount of beer we drink on this podcast. Tremendous professional and personal costs that we've right. incurred right. in order to bring this sort of programming to you and right. to your family and to your children and your grandchildren and hopefully their grandchildren. Uh, and we want to keep it free. You know, right. we don't want this to be programming that only like the the rich people get no uh, you know we we don't want this to just be like uh, you know only twitter gets to listen to this no we want this to be free for everyone and you know we you know we just, we don't ask much we just ask for a little bit of support and we're right. willing to work with you on the support level that you think is the best and we have a lot of great things brian 
that we can offer people in exchange for that support besides just the podcast, which they get for free right. and will continue to get for free in the future. Right. So, I mean, I mean, I, th- I, I, you know, what, if, if you could, you know, I agree with everything you say and, you know, the service I think that we provide to our listeners is, is really unparalleled. It's unmatched. And, you know, you know, the sacrifices that we bring up and we don't say this to, to be heroes. We don't say this to be, you know, to be martyrs, but we just want to be real here. I mean, we're working in this new media landscape. And we know how tough uh, and how competitive this new media landscape is. And if you want to keep hearing the kind of entertainment and the kind of the kind of helpful knowledge that really lets you get through Thanksgiving the way that last week's episode did, um, I mean, the cooking shows alone, I think, are worth are worth an incredible, incredible amount. Um, Every minute you spend cooking, thanks to a recipe you've heard on the Flipside Pod, is one extra minute you didn't have to spend talking to your uncle that has different political views than you. I mean, yes, exactly. So, um, with that in mind, I mean, I mean, I mean, Galen, as our merchandise coordinator and vice president for Swag, can you uh, let let the people know what we can offer them for their sponsorship and their support of the Flipside? Well, at the very base level, which is a $5 recurring contribution, <laughs> and it is a daily recurrence, but it's a good, it's a good daily recurrence, uh, you get the official Flipside Pod hat, yes. which, which is a wonderful piece of hat that, uh, that, that you can put on your head, you can put on your dog's head. Actually, I had, I had Nelson, the puppy, wearing it a little bit earlier. He looked quite stylish in it. Uh, it, uh, it comes in a traditional red, white, and green uh, so it's really, you can use it uh, during the Christmas season. You can also use it uh, in dark lighting when people can't distinguish green from blue particularly easily, and it looks mm-hmm. patriotic. Uh, and uh, a great logo. Uh, it says Flipside. It was it was a wonderful font that I downloaded for free off of the Internet. Uh, but really, just $5 for a recurring contribution gets you that hat. Now, if we jump up to the $10 level, uh, things right. start cooking. Right. We get... We get uh, for you at that point, and you know we we've been waiting to uncover this for a while. Right. But uh, Brian was able to to pull off what we didn't think he was going to be able to pull off, which was a, a sit down with the entire Cook family in the Samuel Adams uh, Brewery headquarters yep. mm-hmm. in uh, Boston. And you know you might be wondering about that because we generally feature more more crafty beers than than sam adams but we have had some sam adams beers on in the past and and we thought that this would be a, an excellent expose into this world and and frankly it was a really revealing conversation brian i mean we, we found that these weren't just people that enjoyed beer they also enjoyed many other things in life and, right. and it really i think it, it provides the kind of human touch that we provide so often on the flip side, but here with, with maybe a topic and a group of people that you didn't know that it existed. They aren't I, just soulless corporate technocrats. No, I, and, and I can't give away too much because that's for, for our donors at the $10, at the $10 uh, recurring level. And again, $10 recurring a day level. But I do feel like, yeah, that, that, that interview, I mean, I mean, I can't say I, I'm, it left me speechless to this day. It really just left me. I can't, I can't say anything else about it really so um but then he left him speechless imagine what it'll leave you folks <laughs> exactly um and uh so do we did so did the thing for the 25 dollar uh recurring thing did that did that happen did we were able to pull gonna, it off? i thought we're gonna wait to talk about that because okay. you know we want to build some anticipation here a little bit sure. I, I think that it's i don't want to just give the farm away to start with but right although at the 25 dollar a day you can get the farm 
well, I, I'm, I'm part of the farm. Part of the yes. farm. Yeah. Yes, the part <laughs> of the farm with the animals that we no longer want on it. So we'll come back later on and we'll talk about the $25 level and right. we'll continue to, to hope, remind you that giving to the flip side is like giving to yourself. It's basically right. like taking money out of your right pocket and putting it in your left pocket after we've touched it. Right. And then giving the pants to us. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, so let's move on to our first topic. Right. Right. So um, this actually, I'll, I'll let you set this up because you... Um, yeah, th this came off of your Twitter feed, and it is kind of relating to the news today. And I'll kind of let you set it up. I think we have, uh, we both probably have some pretty strong, uh, strong thoughts on it. And it's a really kind of, I think, fascinating topic. And it deals with with our president elect. And I was actually thinking about this today, both with the news going on and um, the cabinet uh, selections that are going on. And uh, th 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 I was listening to five thirty eight, so I forget what it was about. But I had the thought that. If it weren't for like the blatant Nazism, this would be a really interesting thing to watch. With right. the, the Nazism kind of makes it very icky and problematic in a lot of ways. If it weren't for that, those ties, this would be super fascinating to me. So, um, anyway, I'll, I'll let you set it up. Fair, okay. That's a that's a weird uh, transition point for <laughs> me, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best with what you've given me. Thank you. Uh, so I was having a conversation earlier today on on Twitter with uh, and and it basically so it it gave me a a kind of let, let me give you the entry point here. I'm trying to find the tweet and I'm and I'm not spilling. I'm not uh, stretching time particularly well. Okay. So the, the, the originally originally what happened this morning or maybe it was last night, was that Donald Trump's Twitter account tweeted out this thing about flag burning and how flag burning was bad and how there should be consequences for it. Maybe, I don't know, what was it, jail time or deportation? A, a loss of citizenship or, like, did it say a year? If I don't know if it said a year. In, you know what? I'm just going to look up his Twitter feed while you, while you set it up, which is always okay. sad when I have to type in real Donald Trump on the search page. I've but, yet to do it. Uh, so... So that so that was the now the the this came right on the heels of this rather damaging article yeah. that had been written about Jared Kushner mm -hmm. uh, uh, in I think it was in the New York Times and what was interesting was that when I started because I was a little late to the news cycle I had a, a there was a breakfast I had to go to this morning I worked most of the morning so I kind of caught up on this a little bit late but I noticed that the the political press and really some of the non political media that I follow on Twitter, which is quite a few people, they immediately were jumping all over this Trump tweet, you know, and they were, you know, they were you know, already think pieces from Vox and the Atlantic about how, well, this isn't, this is, you know, it's unconstitutional to, uh, you know, to ban flag burning and stuff like that. And, and everybody jumping all over this, as we've seen with several other tweets that Trump uh, has had his account put out here over the course of the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's been a pretty standard kind of whack-a-mole approach where Trump tweets something and political media and media in general get really hopped up about it. They write articles, they tweet, they retweet each other, and then the cycle kind of repeats, but not until the thing that Trump tweets ends up popping up on CNN, ends up popping up on the Washington Post, ends up popping up in the New York Times, and so I, I sent the following tweets out in response to that. Um, 
you know, and I, and I just, I want to, I want to read them in order here. Um, so the, the, the first thing I sent out was, um, nothing more perfectly captures the bubble of American political journalism than hyper reactions to Trump's tweets. So few people see tweets. You're taking a message on a network that only 25% of U.S. Internet users even have an account on and giving it far greater attention. The problem is that every journalist is on Twitter. Twitter becomes their perceived reality, and then they help mainstream that reality. Okay. So so that was my original premise. And and this, this led to a fascinating back and forth with a couple of different people, uh, primarily with, with a guy named Dustin Dopirak, who is a, a friend of mine. He is a writer, a sports writer in Pittsburgh. He was a sports writer in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then before that here in Bloomington, which is where I met him. And we went back and forth about this idea of, okay, what exactly is going on with this? And, you know, what is the obligation basically of the press when covering Donald Trump's Twitter account? Is it is it something where it needs to be and is required to be covered the same way that, say, a press conference from Donald Trump would be covered or a written missive from Trump would be covered? Um, is is there a complicity in you know basically mainstreaming things that Trump is saying even when they they are certainly not mainstream themselves? Um, and, and is there some kind of a a problem with a, an overall bubble here where because of the sheer number of journalists that are on Twitter, because people tend to get very hyped up about things that that account tweets or about stories relating to this political process that we're seeing a situation where there's almost an echo chamber in terms of people finding out about news. And then that news is jumping into the news agenda that's being set. And that's, that ends up changing the way that people are perceiving the situation with Trump and, and with American politics as a whole, simply because it's there. There seems to be a push to to constantly focus on these things rather than maybe taking a different approach. And we got into a bunch of different um, side channels about, you know, is 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 it a requirement that you have to cover everything that a president utters, even if it's on a social media channel and you're not even 100 percent certain whether it is actually that person saying it in the first place. So that was the that's the setup that's the background that was that was what my mentality was to start with. So okay. let me peg it over to you and and get get your thoughts on things. Sure, sure. I've thought about this a lot today. It's funny because I happened to wake up and just happened to see like the first couple of retweets of Trump's uh, of the of the tweet in question. Um, just as I woke up, so I was kind of able to start throughout the day, start to see you know the internet outrage machine as we've called it on here, you know, kind of start trademark. getting up trademark trademark the flip side. Um, again, the uh, uh, the, the uh, keeping Who's these pay our patent lawyer. This is exactly right, exactly right. Trademarks aren't treat people. Um, so anyway, um, for one, okay, let 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 let's a, a few kind of disjointed thoughts on it. Um. For one thing, it should be said that what Trump, it should, goes without saying, but we'll say it anyway, that what uh, the president-elect said is absolutely patently 100% unconstitutional. We'll just establish that right off the bat. Um, I And um, as far as, so, uh, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because the traditional journalism, well, okay, 
so we can speak about kind of traditional journal. I can speak about traditional journalism routines and traditional journalism news values. Um, and one of the main ones is the idea of prominence. I talk about this in my classes all the time. And that is the idea that certain people have a certain station in our society, in our culture. They have prominence. Therefore, their actions are more newsworthy than somebody else's. The example I always use is... Um, man eating lunch at Park Ave restaurant in Rochester. That in itself, not a news story. When you change man to President Obama, it becomes the lead story for a couple days up here, just by the nature of him being the president. And so understanding that, you understand that when the president makes public president or president-elect in this, in this case, makes public statements, says something publicly, it is news, and I think it is traditionally viewed, it's traditionally news. It's traditionally seen as, yes, it is news. Um, and so I, I and on part, one part of me completely understands the kind of uh, idea, I don't know if that's not the right word, but I can't think of the right one, the impulse, I guess, to kind of, uh, to kind of, ignore some of these tweets or downplay them a little bit um especially something like the flag burning one because i mean i and for one thing you know to quote west wing has there been a rash of flag burning that i'm not aware of um <laughs> you know i thought he'd at least wait till close to the midterms when he's flailing before he goes to the red meat uh red meat issue of something like flag burning but um but i mean as, but aside from that you know i think it, 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 I mean, for me, you know, you know, speaking personally, um, I think yes, there needs to be some semblance of balance in how we cover it. I think the kind of hysterical nature that a lot of Twitter journalism and cable journalism, and, and I, I'm seeing a lot of similarities between kind of cable news and Twitter, Twitter news. They kind of, you know, that that's an easy thing to jump on. It's an easy thing to get kind of, you know, internet outragey about. Um, but at the same time, you know, my wife wrote about this on a blog a few weeks ago, and I really think it's something worth worth remembering that, you know, Donald Trump's the president now. He's the president-elect. And so his words do matter. Those words carry more weight when you are sitting in line for the office of president of the United States rather than when you're Donald Trump real estate baron, Donald Trump uh internet phenomenon and Donald Trump reality TV star um, to go back to West Wing I was thinking about this earlier there's a great scene in uh, shoot season two or season three I'm blanking on the seasons I think season two uh, where President Bartlett played by Martin Sheen is seeing a ther they bring in a therapist to see Martin Sheen because he hasn't the, the president hasn't slept in like five days hasn't slept at all and the president and, and throughout the session they, they go back and forth and the the therapist asks uh, President Bartlett, you know, what's the that name of the, the room I slept in the other night? What's the name of it again? And Bartlett kind of rolls his eyes and he goes, I think you're referring to the Lincoln bedroom. And the, the therapist goes, that's right. And he looks at the president. This is a hell of, a hell of a curve you get graded on now. And I, and that, that's always stuck with me. Like, like pre that, that's, that, that's the curve that we're, we're judging and rating Donald Trump on now, whether we like him, whether we agree with him or not. At some level, he's on the same level in the same office as Washington, as Adams, as Jefferson, as Madison, as Lincoln, as Roosevelt, right. as Roosevelt. And I think that, 
I, I, I think that there's something to be said for holding him accountable for the things he said and, and not, you know, again, I'm for balance in doing it. I'm not for the, you know, internet outrage and the hysteria and the going crazy for it. But, you know, let's be honest, the president-elect did say that it, that he did float the idea very publicly of punishing dissent by stripping citizenship. Like, whether that can actually happen is another is another side of the debate, and I think that's an important kind of question we're going to get to next. But just taken on the face of it, I think that that's an incredibly disturbing thing. Now there are there there are certain ways to handle it and certain levels to to handle it, but I think I think it's it's very valuable to kind of start at that point. And as to your point about you know. Uh, you know, did he really write the tweets? I saw your tweets about that. Did, do you know he really wrote them? Do we re- know they really came from him? I don't know. I don't really necessarily buy that argument because, you know, President Obama didn't sit down and dictate his statement about Fidel Castro's death. And yet we quote, oh, that's what we quote President Obama sta- saying. So I don't see the difference between that and, you know, whether Kellyanne Conway was got his phone and tweeted that or something or whoever did. Right. So let me. There's a couple. There's a couple of different things to unpack here in response to what you've said. So mm-hmm. let me first deal with the way the media uh, handles Trump or has tried to handle Trump. And there was a great piece, and I've long since forgotten where it was. It might have been a Politico piece. It might have been something else. But there was a line in it that stuck with me through this whole process, and it was referring to. The, the 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 dissonance the between the way that people react to Trump and the way that the the political press reacted to Trump mm-hmm. and the line was um, you know the the I want to make sure I get it right the the press always took Trump literally but never seriously and the public mm. always took Trump Seriously, but not Seriously, literally. Seriously, but not literally. Right. And okay. so, and I, so I think we're seeing some of that now. Like the idea, this very concept that if a guy says something, who's who's the president or or the president elect in this case, and it it is um, it it's a it's a, a thing that is outrageous or even just a thing that's normal that we need to. Uh, cover it with uh, the same level of, of I guess, ver- veracity or, or, or ferocity or whatever as we would have covered any other president. Um, I think that that is a constant issue with trying to cover this particular person. And I don't necessarily – I agree that from the standpoint of the, the seriousness of the office – there, there should be a difference in the way that a person is looked at, or the person, or a way that a person behaves. I don't think that that's actually what's happening in reality here, and and maybe it's simply because Trump is such a a, a non politician in the way that he handles things. It makes the traditional methodologies of covering the normally very careful and measured utterances of people in that position, uh, basically inoperable. Right. And so let's take that and and hold off on, on the, where that logically goes for just a second. I want to jump to the second thing, which is, I don't know. And this is, this puts me in kind of a a weird position to, to even be mentioning this. 
I don't know that I agree that what appears on a Twitter account should be equated to speech. Well, really? Um, and, and and this, I, I guess I come at it from this perspective. We we all know that Twitter is an amazingly abbreviated medium from the standpoint of the, the context, the data that's involved in it. Um, we all also know that there is no real consistent concept of, of, you know, particularly with major public figures of who's tweeting what, what their words are. Yeah, you can get into the argument that, well, it's on their Twitter account and that should be representational. But I don't know if Twitter, frankly, deserves, if that method of communication deserves to be held in the same esteem as the other forms of communication that we have traditionally uh, utilized to ab- absorb the words of the president or other key political figures. Okay. Um, I look at it because okay, so from from this perspective, from a, from the perspective of somebody covering something, um, it's kind of like a press release, except it's not aimed at the press; it's aimed at the followers of the people. There's no attempt that I've seen, and and even if there was, there there'd almost certainly be no actual ability to question back the the person that is making the statement in the first place right um and and certainly within the confines of the the flag burning tweet it's it's entirely divorced from whatever the reality of the time happens to be as you mentioned there is no rash of flag burnings going on it's mm-hmm. a the, that tweet was like the ultimate political non sequitur right uh, and in fact there was a great uh, run of tweets that a guy that I, I randomly follow had on this, which I, I want to read here. Flag burning tweet revives the issue of crazy in quotes versus crazy like a fox in right. quotes with regards to Trump. It's just a perfectly tailored wedge provocation. People, especially Trump's voters, are 100% against flag burning. Us bien pensants on the right and the left are not. Revoke citizenship ideal. Uh, is the ideal overstep to trigger a freakout? Uh, maybe it all comes unfiltered from Trump's id, but if so, then what you're really arguing is that Trump is subconsciously a political genius. And and this is and so this is where I think, and this is where I kind of left the the conversation with Dustin earlier on, and I'm hoping that we're able to continue it, continue it on email, is that the normal rules of engagement don't really apply. I think in a world where somebody is actually using Twitter for what it can be used for, which is uh, not just a media bypass mechanism, but something that completely redefines the communication structures that both the politicians and the political press have grown used to over the course of God, how many years. Okay. Um, So, you can say, well, this is an utterance from the president or the president-elect, therefore it must be covered along the same lines as all this other speech. Yet Twitter, by its very nature, by the technical aspects of it, is not the same as normal speech. It is this kind of separate, technologically encompassed speech that has the ability to basically be completely diversionary from whatever else is going on at the time. And my, my initial argument was simply, you know, your, your argument about, oh, well, if Obama's eating in a restaurant, that's a story. Whereas if, if I'm eating in a restaurant, it's not a story. But I don't know if that applies to tweets because, yeah, if Trump tweets, theoretically, it's news. But if the tweet is disconnected from anything going on in the news, 
I don't know if it necessarily if every single tweet that he puts out there suddenly rises to the level of news. Hmm. That, that's interesting. So, okay, let me let, let, let riddle me this then. How should political media, news media cover Trump via Twitter? Because remember, he hasn't given a press conference since end of July. I think it's been it's been much longer than Hillary never gave a press conference. Right. Um, he has not really given any public. He has not been in front of people. I don't think since the uh, since his uh, since election night when he gave his speech when his victory speech. Um, he certainly hasn't hasn't excuse me really met with reporters very much at all. So this is you know whether you however you view Twitter as a news mechanism or not. This is the way that the president elect is communicating with the media and with the public. This are th- these are. Y- y- no, they are. They are. They're no, being. No, I don't. I don't. Okay, here's where I think this. This. I understand where you're going with this. But yeah. Here's where I think it breaks down. He's not using it to communicate with the media. No, he's using. He's, me- use, he's using it to communicate with the people. Mm-hmm. And the media are taking it. And and here, the funny thing about this is, and this is this is really what I was thinking about um, when it when it came to the election stuff. A lot of the things that Trump said and did would not have gotten. The coverage that they got—I mean, I'm talking about the outrageous things that he would say on Twitter during the election. Mm-hmm. If media hadn't covered what he was saying on Twitter, okay. But those things ended up helping Trump. I think they actually popularized him in the eyes of a lot of people who suddenly looked at what you know the things that were being popularized that Trump was saying in the mainstream media in the news agenda. And it ended up elevating him by giving him all of this free coverage. And we, we've seen studies on this already where they mm-hmm. estimated that Trump was getting like ridiculous amounts of free news coverage from every major cable operator, from most of the major newspapers, simply because he kept getting put back in the news cycle because he was using his Twitter account as basically an agent provocateur. Right. And, and so now he's a president-elect. He's doing the same thing. And we're seeing the same cycle which is obscuring some of the very real uh, stories that are out there right now about conflicts of interest, about right. cabinet choices, things like that. And, and, and so my argument back to you is, if, you know, yeah, he's using Twitter to make these communication attempts, but by covering those as if they are news stories, they automatically jump in the right. news agenda these other things that – frankly, are far more important and need to right. be covered in far more detail. And that's that's where I think the Twitter echo chamber is really hurting the journalistic process on this because it's treating the the nonsense that's being, being tweeted as more important than these other things that, frankly, need to be covered. I, 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 I'll agree with you 100% on that. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the kind of perfect confluence of those traditional news values of prominence and timeliness. Like, important person said something right now, and deviance, because he's saying something that's crazy. Like, whether accusing millions of people of illegally voting for Hillary Clinton or, um, you know, this, this flag-burning thing. And it's a perfect confluence. I do like, and I did this this morning myself, I do like Jack Schaefer from Politico, who I agree with about maybe one in three times. But I really like what he does. What his recommendation here um, is: you don't. It's not you. You don't ignore what Trump is tweeting because that's. I don't think. I, I think that's taking it to an extreme. But I. Th- but what he does is you retweet Trump with a link to the story that he's trying to bury because of it. 
So sure. like, so like, I tweeted out this morning. I tweeted out the the I I did the the quote tweet with the the flag burning nonsense with a link to one of the New York Times' fantastic coverage of all the conflicts of interest that are a legit like potential constitutional issue come January 21st. Um, and I like that, you know, I, I, and I think that, that, yeah, it, it, it is, you're, you're right. The, uh, and so it's funny. The first thing I did this morning when I saw that tweet was I went to the post and the times to see, do they have anything big on Trump this morning that he's, that he would be tweeting about something like this to kind of, you know, distract. I, I mean, one of the things that's so fascinating about this to me is it gets back to the debate that we have all, we've had a lot on this show that we've had kind of throughout Trump's candidacy, you know, do we take him seriously or do we not? Is he crazy? Is he crazy like a fox to put as, as the guy you follow him on Twitter said? You know, is he is he just a complete narcissistic racist egomaniac or is he like the most brilliant Machiavellian mind in the world who's, who like knows how to play the media and all that. And I'm sure the, the truth is muddled and, and, you know, multiple things can be, can be true on that. Um, it's just, yeah, it's like I said, it would be, you know, if it weren't for all, it would be super, it, it's super interesting to look at, you know, with the privilege that you and I have of being able to kind of dispassionately look at a lot of these things. And, you know, it, 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 it is just, it, it really is, you know, and, and I'm starting to see me, ways that media and news media and political media are starting to reevaluate how they cover Trump and, and hopefully how they cover more, not just Trump, you know, that, that's always kind of the fear, both, you know, before the election with how this would ha handle the Republicans and media and now like is this a trump only phenomenon where media outlets are being a little more um outgoing in calling lies you know like like the statement where you know i would have where he's tweeted out i would have won the popular vote had not millions not have voted illegally for hillary which is patently untrue and a lot and a lot of, of news outlets are saying without evidence claiming claims without evidence or untrue and i think that it's a steep curve and i and and i like that i think that's a really good potential development for journalism and i hope it doesn't just end with trump it's not just a you know we can call trump on this because he's him but okay here no so let me use that example as an argument maybe and i'm to some degree, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't know how much of this I believe and how much of this I'm just spitballing because I really don't know the answer. I mean, one of the things I think that we have to understand, I'm not trying to be hard on political media. It is a this is an uncharted territory where mm -hmm. you have you have somebody who's in a position of power who has decided to utilize Twitter in particular as this type of thing. And no one really knows how to react to it. Uh, I'm, I'm just arguing a particular point that I think it's being handled wrong by the people who have the power to mm -hmm. uh, amplify the message when they probably shouldn't. So let's take that tweet about the, the millions of illegal voters or mm -hmm. the people who voted illegally. Um, that comes closer to hitting that bar that I was talking about earlier about a tweet corresponding with a current news item mm -hmm. that – would make it newsworthy. Right. It's still troll bait. Oh, yeah. It is It is still absolutely troll bait. And what it ends up doing, again, in this case, is it puts the attention on almost the... The, almost the wrong thing, I guess, for, for, you know, if you look at the way that this was viewed, it was viewed by a lot of people 
as um, people yelling about that when there's, you know, I don't know if it would have been a big news story. It certainly wasn't an official policy statement that had been made. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it was was a statement on Twitter. And this is where I guess I go back to the audience level. So, you know, it's like 24% or 25% of the internet audience in the U.S. And there's only, I think, like 80, 82% have internet access right. in the U.S. Yep. So of that, only 24, 25% have a Twitter account. Right. Of that number, even fewer actually regularly use Twitter. Mm-hmm. A, 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 so you have a, a tweet by Trump that doesn't reach a particularly big audience. It, you know, I don't know what that audience, what the favorite and retweet number on that was, but the number of okay. impressions on it couldn't have been that particularly big in, in, the, in the bigger scheme of the, of, the, of the country, particularly when you consider the demographics of Twitter. You know, uh, most of Trump's supporters are not on Twitter. Like, you know, the, the, the red state voter is on Facebook, certainly, but they're not on Twitter. Mm-hmm. The people on Twitter tend to be urban Coastal types tend to be journalists, <laughs> tend to be people at much higher education levels. Those are not – none of those are, are Trump um, constituencies. So you have a guy who's tweeting in something that's inflammatory and troll-baity and a medium that is only reaching primarily people who already hate him and are opposed to him and voted against him. And what you get is this – again, the internet outrage machine firing up. And you are getting good – journalistic you know whack-a-mole basically on mm-hmm. that tweet but it's not really doing anything but getting that story that idea that people voted illegally out into the major news cycle mm-hmm. uh, you know now it goes out to the cable networks it goes out to the major newspapers and the and the political websites and now you're you know now the, the candidate to some degree just by planning that one simple 140 character tweet has uh, you know, basically maneuvered the the, the the powers that be in the news media to change the news agenda. So now that suddenly pops up and it doesn't have a, an effect where everybody says, oh, look how wrong Trump was. It has the effect of at least 35, 40 percent of the country saying, yeah, look at all these people that voted illegally. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's a, it's a convoluted thing. And I, and I get it, it. It's it's something that I think you just it's why I look at Twitter and I say to myself, I don't know if we should be taking Twitter seriously at all from a political perspective because it is so easy we're seeing right now for the tail to wag the dog Mm -hmm. when it comes to tweets. It takes one tweet by Donald Trump to disrupt the entire news cycle. And and now that he knows that that happens Uh – what happens to the rest of the time that we're covering? It? Right. Well, and I always find it funny. Just uh, really quick, the uh, I can't do full analytics because I'm not the real Donald Trump. But uh, it was uh, had fit over fifty three thousand retweets uh, and one hundred sixty thousand likes. Uh, this is the uh, voted illegally and fifty one thousand replies to it. So I don't know the impressions on it, but okay. Actual total retweets fifty three thousand four hundred nineteen likes one hundred fifty nine thousand. 266 which is really a tiny number in terms of like nationwide audience when you think about it um which i think is kind of one of your points that 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 you make there um and i just lost where i was gonna oh the news cycle what always cracks me up about about the idea of the news cycle is where you you you're absolutely right trump can tweet anything and it and it and it's the news cycle for the day 
Um, but I always crack me up. It always cracks me up when I see journalists saying that or political journalists saying, well, Trump's tweeted something. Now there goes the news cycle for the day. You control the news cycle as journalists. You are able to say, no, this is not what we're, what's going to dominate. You know, we can say Trump tweeted out this thing. You know, that's why I kind of, you know, like the Jack Schaefer model of you report what he said and you can report it in a responsible, ethical, honest way, but you don't need to blow it up you can say okay donald trump said this you you can even randomly tweeted something about flag burning even though there's no evidence of flag burning in protests and now on to the news of the day or something like that or as part of the news of the day it's that it's you're right it's the 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 problem isn't necessarily the reporting it it's the elevating it into such a multiple day story and a multiple a multiple day thing um and 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 it and I mean, look, I think that, that, you know, his tweet was kind of brilliant in a lot of ways. Because as you pointed out, and several friends of mine have pointed out, it's red meat to, to Trump voters. It's red meat to Republicans who 20 years ago were supporting and, you know, President, uh, the first George H.W. Bush was pushing for a constitutional amendment to, against flag burning. And he was prote- promoting laws against it before the two, uh, Supreme Court cases. You know, this is meat for Republicans. Hillary Clinton sponsored a, an anti-flag burning, uh, bill in in the senate that would have made flag burning a criminal offense um and and so you know it plays to the base you know people who are against trump are going to be probably very civil liberties minded anyway so they're going to be offended anyway it this doesn't cost him anything i don't think you know and and yeah it keeps him in the news and it and it keeps him in the news for something that can never happen that's kind of probably silly and yeah, it takes our it takes us away for our day from talking about the business interests or you know whoever he's nominating, who whatever terrible person he's nominating for for the cabinet post or or whatever. So um, you know it, it is it's just fa- figuring out you know it's so weird because like I, I I teach a digital journalism class and you know for so many years it's been you know so much an emphasis on twitter on social media on using twitter and and using that and i don't know it just seems like not not that we're past that 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 point and that it's not useful anymore but i don't know it seems like i don't know if this election changed something or just my kind of point of view has changed on it like twitter journalistically but i guess i do keep kind of coming back to that idea of 24% of the american public's on twitter and do we as media people and as journalists put way too much stock into this platform in general not just with not just with trump but in sports and in everything are we kind of too fixated on this great fun i love twitter i'm on twitter all the time you guys follow me you know that it's super fun it's super interesting i've met i met you on twitter i met a lot of interesting people on twitter but do we over inflate it compared to other outlets and other things and i and that's the thing i really think that we do i think that twitter the the amount the importance even on like even on sports center we take a sports example mm-hmm. the the out the the amount of of focus on tweets from athletes about other things that are going on it's incredibly outsized based upon or or when you compare it to the actual reach that the medium has mm-hmm. it's just not there and it's not going anywhere i mean and, and and it's funny i was thinking about this so what's our cutoff like at what point does a, a does a, a social media network 
uh, not qualify as being serious enough for us to take everything that's said on it seriously. Like, what if Donald Trump was an inveterate Snapchatter? You know, would 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 all of Donald Trump's snaps be considered newsworthy? Uh, what if it, what if he was on? Uh, you know, uh, some smaller network than that. I mean, you know, like to, to some degree, it's like he's not doing these things on Facebook, and there's a reason for that. But it's weird because there's far more people on Facebook. I mean, yeah. 80% of the U.S. internet population is on Facebook. Right. Only 25% is on Twitter. And I keep coming back to this all the time. To me, he's doing it on Twitter because he knows it will up. Set the, the media. Media. Media is on they, Twitter, yeah. And they will carry the water for him to put all of those stories, all the things that he's that he's tweeting into the news cycle. That's a really that's a fascinating point because in all my research when we talk when I talk to reporters about what they you know they use and how their routines are changing and blah 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 blah. It's always Twitter. Twitter is and, and I do sports, so I mean, you know this as well. Sports media on Twitter is huge. When I bring up Facebook, yeah, you know, I should post stuff on Facebook. Yeah, I got an official page on Facebook that has my stories, but I'm on Twitter more. And yeah, it makes no sense when you look at the numbers. And and yeah, it's it it is interesting that he's not doing this on Facebook. Um, well, no, he has all the fake news sites that are doing it for him on Facebook. <laughs> so he's got he's covered there. Estonian that. youth. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 what, what was it? The Denver? Uh, oh shoot! What the Denver was the Republic or something? Oh like yeah, that. something like that. So yeah. so anyway, so um, I think we're 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 about we're about at our at our wrap up time. But I did send you a photo in the uh, in the Skype chat that I think um, we were able to wrap up. I was able to to while you were talking, I got the hundred dollar a day level uh, donation uh, swag and prize wrapped up. It's a wonderful piece of swag. It is a an it is an autographed photo. Oh no, it's the actual dinner. It's an autograph. Oh, the dinner itself. The oh, no, dinner. No, no. The dinner is the next highest. Oh, um, the dinner's a five hundred. Yeah. You, you have an autographed photo <laughs> at the hundred dollar level of Donald Trump and Mitt Romney having dinner in New York. Now, the greatest thing about this photo is it's autographed by Mike Pence. <laughs> uh, it's 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 the best thing, really. I mean, it's and 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 they were happy to do it. They really wanted to give back. I, yeah. Uh, the, at the five hundred dollar level, though, you're right. You get to have dinner with Donald Trump. And Mitt Romney right. at the Shake Shack uh, on 34th Street in Manhattan. Oh, now I'm now now I'm going to be jonesing for Shake Shack for a long time. <laughs> I left IAX one day when we IAX was in New York. I blew off the official conference lunch that I had already paid for so that I could go to the Shake Shack at Grand Central, and it was so much better. I got to tell you, I won that one. I, I had uh, I did I took you did I take you to Shake Shack? No, I went on my no no no. no I was talking to my wife. I oh. thought I took you to Shake Shack. Oh yeah, she did not eat in Shake Shack for whatever reason. Why was that? That was very strange of her. That's but the, I, okay. I do think Shake Shack has definitely surpassed um, all the other hamburger places. See, okay, see, point. I have not had In and Out. Uh, if I go to Phoenix this uh, uh, in March for IX, I'll uh, I'm 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 bringing a cooler bag to bring my wife back In and Out, and that's the last of the big three because I've had Five Guys. Obviously, I've had Shake Shack, and then you've not, you you not had Whataburger. I've not had Whataburger. Um, I didn't. Which I, I wouldn't. I, it's, it never gets classified in the big three, but it's worth at least trying. I'll try any Whataburger you give me. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, definitely, you need to call in, folks. You need to give us your money. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, well, it's not us. It's like it's the program. It's the program. program. Yes, it's for us. It, it helps us to keep the site alive. It right. helps us to to pay our bar tab, and we really appreciate your support. And even if you give nothing, the fact that you've given your time. Time to listen to us once because, again because time is money 
Time is money. And, but, and, but, re- but really, send us your money. <laughs> any, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I think, I, 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 like always, we've helped a lot of people, I think. So, I think um, so. I think we've, so. We, we've unpacked some stuff. We do. We're, <laughs> we are, we're very good unpackers on the flip side. But uh, anyway, you folks take it easy. We'll have our, um, is it our penultimate show of the season next week? Yeah, next week is the penultimate of season three. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so enjoy that when it comes, but enjoy this until then. For Brian Moritz and for my dogs and for my wife, I'm Galen Clavio saying thanks for joining us, and we will catch you on the flip side. See ya.